Jason Edgar, I'm your host for the next hour. Excited to be joining you live Thursday, November 21st, 2019. I still can't believe I said that. <laughs> Oops All Topics is broadcast live, as you can see, on 99.1 FM, WZQC, the Q. Email the show at oopsalltopics at gmail.com. Follow or direct message me on Twitter at the Jedger. Follow, share, download the podcast at oopsalltopics.podbean.com. And finally, subscribe and review on Apple Podcast. And I must say, the views and opinions expressed in this show are not the views of Morton College, just in case I get I, t- I ruffle some feathers in impeachment talk and democratic debates and uh, you know, whatever else. And, and no one even told me to do that. I just thought that would be a good idea. So, anyways, errors and omissions. Uh, I apologize last week for the mic issues, but I was just, I'm going to just go ahead and make the excuse that I was sick last week, and I was trying to, I was trying to overcompensate mic-wise, and so that's the reason why we had a little bit of overmodulation, but I think we're, I think we're good now. Sun sounds much better, actually, in my headphones. And that's the reason why I'm such a good mood, just start giggling at the beginning of it, because don't you think, like, whenever you're sick, and then, like, you get a little bit better, like, it, those are, like, the two or three best days. I could even see it with Frankie. Uh, he had, uh, you know, as you all know, RSV, uh, my nine-month-old, and as soon as he kind of bounced back, he was like the happiest baby I'd ever seen. Also, uh, last week we talked about uh, sports policies we should pass now, and I think I was very, very vibrant whenever I said we should abolish the DH. In fact, it would expand the DH. I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the, de- the designated hitter in baseball, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll just have to review last week's episode. And then this isn't really an error or omission, but um, next week is Thanksgiving, and I don't know about you, but I just, I'm not a fan when people uh, take weeks off for holidays. You know, I don't care if it's Thanksgiving, I don't care if it's Christmas, I want to hear my favorite podcast, so you know what? You're going to get one next week, and it's going to be our lost episode one. Uh, the first episode of Oops All Topics didn't make it to Apple Podcast, and so I'm just going to pop that up there next week, and uh, unless they let me into the uh, let me into the building at Morton, which I don't think they will. Oh, here's another thing. That recording is so bad. Start it at 8 minutes and 38 seconds. That might even be the title of next week's podcast. All right, current events. Speaking of episode one, our pop culture segment for that week was uh, The Joker. So what was that, about a a month and a half ago? This past week, Joker reached $1 billion. Wow. It's one of the most profitable 
superhero movies of all time. And the reason I say that is because what did they need? There was no, they didn't need any special effects. Uh, they didn't have to pay very many actors. Think about Avengers Endgame. Uh, they had to pay, you know, 40 actors or Infinity Wars. Uh, there was no Batman. They probably didn't have to do anything like um, intellectual property-wise. And they just raked it in. Uh, Joker is the first R-rated movie ever to reach a billion dollars. And this is why it's even more impressive. When you have a movie that's PG-13, that means kids can go to it. If it's rated R, kids aren't necessarily going to go to it, but that also means your ticket sales are going to be affected, right? That's the reason why Deadpool makes a ton of money, but it's not up in the billion-dollar range because, you know, those parents are going to take their kids, and there's two tickets right there, and you don't think that... There, there's no there's no sentiment for you being a rated R or a rated you know NC-17 movie. If you want more tickets, make it to where people that can go of all ages can go and watch it. If you really want to make money, just make a cartoon. Uh, what was the budget? Sixty-two million. So you do the math. Spent sixty-two million to make, and it made one billion dollars. Man, most profit- profitable comic book movie, and yet it was episode one. And speaking of movies, this week there's going to be a new movie coming out. It's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I don't know. Have you heard people talk about it? <laughs> uh, Kleenex is just going to be, you know, making huge money over the next two weeks with that A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood movie going out with Mr. Rogers. Predicted on this show, that'll be the number one movie this week. And it might even be the title of this show. Well, it's, that's not going to be the title of this show. i got another idea. Oh! Morton had the mock debate. That was our presenting sponsor for like a month. I was so tired of reading the uh, the on-air ad. Uh, but anyways, uh, the debate team did fantastic. And, uh, and we did a primary afterwards, so whenever people were leaving, we were asking them who they would vote for. Uh, the results of our Morton College mock debate, I mean, this is pretty much up there with like the Iowa caucus, if you ask me. Uh, Warren got 49%. Yeah, she got a plan for that, baby. Uh, Bernie got 31%, so that really tells you something about Morton students. They went in there, and they voted for the progressive candidates right there. Um, Pete Buttigieg got 10%, which doesn't echo the sentiments of New Hampshire and Iowa right now. Uh, Pete, Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg is experiencing a booty bump right now in Iowa and New Hampshire. He's the number one Democrat. He's got kind of like an Obama energy going, but the thing is, I should really save this for uh what, uh, for, the, for the Democratic review of last night's debate. But you really do kind of feel like he has like an Obama vibe to him. He's a very great speaker, but the only problem is he doesn't have the black vote. But I'll get to that here in a minute. And then since Yang and Biden were there, they got less than 1%. Now, this could be because of the political sentiment of the students that went there, but it also could just be my debate students, one through five. I really felt like the people that were representing Warren and Bernie did the best jobs. That's Cassandra and Maria. They really took it to each other. And uh, and that's and that's how it ended. So thank you all for uh, who uh, who attended. And I'm I'm for sure a couple people went there simply because they heard it on this show. All right. So speaking of the Democratic debate, can I be honest with you? I was so tired yesterday. I don't know what happened, but when it hit 9 p.m. and I was like, I'm out. I got a big Thursday. I got a podcast at four o'clock the next day. And me, a debate coach. I mean, my life revolves around debate. There was a Democratic debate last night, and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> well, what are they going to talk about? Medicare for all and how to fund it? Please. So anyways, what I'm going to do is I didn't write any notes, and I'm just going to try to 
figure out. I'm gonna give you a few uh, few thoughts on, on on what I've heard since then, and maybe I've heard some clips and things like that. The first one's Biden. Uh, it, if if Buttigieg is moving up in the polls, it's because Biden is slipping. They're kind of like one and the same. And I t- I tell my wife that with like Bernie and and Warren, when they're both you know at 15 or 16 percent, I just say eat those two percentages up. Those voters are gonna go over there, even though she says that Bernie. I'm sorry, uh, Bernie voters voters hate Warren, but they're two sides of the same coin. So anyways, Biden last night said something like he wants to punch out domestic abuse. And he said you just got to punch at the problem, punch at the problem, punch at the problem. I mean, could you use better words, man? He also didn't have a good response for how do you feel about Trump attacking you uh, with the the Ukraine scandal. And really, his communication team should have an answer for this because that is going to get a huge, a huge discussion if he is the candidate. Who else is there? Warren. Um. But they, they do go to her a lot, and she had some great answers to some great questions. Uh, kind of, you know, for her, it's all about coasting to Iowa. Uh, she's going to be one of the senators that is pulled into the uh, impeachment trial if uh, if Trump's going to be removed from office. A couple others are like are like Bernie and uh, Kamala. I mean, there's a bunch. Amy. So not much to say about Warren. She's coasting. I mean, she's doing great. I think she's going to be uh, head and shoulders better than a Bernie candidate. Oh, I, I would love for Bernie to be the candidate as well, but I just feel like Warren has like the the, the, the winning edge right now. Uh, let's see here. Bernie, again, it, it seems like people have already forgotten about like the heart attack and things like that. He's just a good old Bernie there sitting third uh, right now. I think that's the, kind of the issue. He's kind of like a distant third. I kind of think people are like, well, we've, we've heard this dog and pony show from Bernie. Uh, Kamala had some good answers last night. Ka- Kamala is hanging by a thread. I know I have some friends on Facebook who just love Kamala Harris, but you know she's not polling well. She's not getting a lot of like natural donors. And you know whenever they're putting out like we need more donors, we need more donors, it, it, you know you don't see Bernie and Warren and, and Biden doing that. Uh, Klobuchar had some good lines. Uh, you can really tell that she's nervous. Like her her bangs are like constantly moving whenever she's talking. And that could be unsettling for voters. I'm sorry, I'm a communication professor, and it doesn't send a good message non-verbally. You know, think about Trump's hair. That thing is wiry as possible, and it's never moving. He's just not a nervous guy. He's not even nervous about this impeachment scandal. He said, I'm sorry, Amy Klobuchar said, can a woman beat Trump? Absolutely. Nancy Pelosi does it every day. And I was like, mic drop. Podcast mic drop right there, Amy Klobuchar. Who else? Tulsi? Again, I just, she's going on Fox News and bashing Democrats. Does she know that she's supposed to get Democratic voters? Yang. No, they don't go to Yang very often. Uh, still pushing UBI. Uh, he wears a he wears a pin that says math. And it, sure, he's promoting math, but it also stands for Make America Think Harder. I mean, yeah, and you just moved up like two spots in my list right there. I would love for America to be smarter. Who am I missing? Eight, nine, and ten. <laughs> Tom Steyer. Dude, you're not going to be president, man. For starters, man, he has just bought his way into there. Like, if I was a billionaire, I would spend $100 million and be on the debate stage. That'd be awesome. I would just talk about my Supreme Court picks. Who am I missing? I'm not going to spend any radio time uh, getting on the internet and figuring out who it is. But I do want to talk about somebody that wasn't there, Castro. He needs to be on there, man. Like, he has one of the best, like, ideas for uh, immigration. And I think we should hear him out. One of the people I missed was Booker. 
I love Booker, man. He's always got a big smile. And I just think it would be great for our first lady to be Rosario Dawson. That's what he's dating. I'm missing somebody. But it's like, you know, naming the 50 states. Have you ever tried to name the 50 states? You're always, you know all of them, but you're always going to miss like five or six. I'm missing somebody really important. That I, it's Mayor Pete. That's who I'm missing. When we played the three-word game about a month ago on this show, my three words for Pete Buttigieg were not going anywhere, and now look. Number one in Iowa, number one in New Hampshire. Iowa caucus, New Hampshire primary. Like, those are the big ones that you need to win going into Super Tuesday, and Mayor Pete is, is up there, and he's a great speaker, not going anywhere. And I tell my wife this. It's like, he's not my favorite candidate, but, you know, in an era of Trump, whenever you want to whenever you want to win, you got to go with a great candidate, and I think he can win. But the big thing is that black vote. He is polling at 0%. Let's see here. Um, there's been some new people jumping into the race, like uh, Mayor Bloomberg, and there's a guy named Duvall. And there's going to be a new little small segment I'm going to talk about called I'm Torn. <laughs> the sound effects on this show are priceless. I'll have a sign effect next time. Anyways, I'm torn with uh, new candidates here. I'm tor- and when I say I'm torn, it means I can kind of see both sides. On the one side, enough Democratic candidates. Like, it was a joke months ago how many candidates there were. Do you remember Hickenlooper? Do you remember Beto? And I don't even, is Swalwell still in it? He farted on CNN the other night, by the way. Did you hear that? Google that, by the way. <laughs> it was on Wolf Blitz here. But also, I'm torn because this is America. Anybody can run. I could run for president tomorrow. I'll be I'll be candidate number 23. I mean, I got a I got a podcast. I got a radio show, 99.1 FM. How you doing, Chicago? I see you. All right. Speaking of politics, let's transition into everyone's favorite segment: Oops, impeachment. And wow, I mean, the barn doors have been blown off of impeachment now with this Gordon Sondland uh, uh, testimony. You thought it was bad last week. I said we were in the full swing of it last week. I mean, I don't know what we're doing now, but it's just a freaking tornado of, of news. Like, uh, in the morning, uh, yesterday, on Wednesday, my wife was like, why are you so excited? And I was like, we got an impeachment hearing today, a big one, and we got the Democratic debate. Just a huge politics nerd, I'm telling you. So what did we learn this week since last Thursday? Uh, Yovanovitch, I mean, just a great ambassador, and was smeared by Donald Trump. Now, the big argument here is that presidents can pick their ambassadors. Obama picked his ambassadors. Bush picked his ambassadors. But Yovanovitch makes the argument, why did he smear me? And it, it's just it's an overcorrection on Trump's part. Just, just replace her, man. You, you have the, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm advocating for his own co- uh, own conspiracy here, but it's like, just just replace her, man. Put her somewhere else. But no, he, he wanted to smear her for whatever reason. And guess who got a standing ovation once she left? Ambassador Yovanovitch. I think whoever the next president is should make her like an honorary ambassador somewhere, because she's great. Um... I have an infographic on people that support impeachment. I'm going to kind of go to it, see what... uh, Can you imagine any information or circumstances during the impeachment inquiry where you might change your mind about your position on impeachment? Uh, Yes, uh, overall 30%. Democrats, 25%. Republicans, 24%. Independents, 39%. Uh, So what I'm I'm kind of getting at there 
is that um, not very many people are going to be changing their opinions based solely on uh, the information they find with this impeachment scandal. Um, I don't think that this is um, this is this is this is like new news because we all know that Trump has his base and they're I mean, just diehard Trump supporters. Uh, even if he did collude with Russia or is trying to, attempting to collude with Ukraine, and then you have you never Trumpers. But here's the thing. I really think the impeachment is having an effect on Trump. For starters, we already said that he canceled the Doral, like the G8 having uh, Doral. Uh, you've got to think about Virginia pretty much flipping blue. Kentucky's new governor is Democrat, even though Trump endorsed it. And Trump also endorsed a Louisiana governor, a deep red state, Democratic governor. And I tell people all the time, when was the last time Trump had any good news? When was the last time he won a court case or he won an election that he endorsed? You can't even go back to last November. Like, you remember the blue wave in 2018? Vindman, man. Vindman was awesome. Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, excuse me. And the thing is, man, and this is what Schiff and Pelosi and, and Nadler were all like, kind of like doing with the uh, the closed door sessions. They're like, well, they're putting together some really, really polished ambassadors and military individuals versus Trump, who is like on record like lying thirteen thousand times over the course of his presidency. These people are unflappable, absolutely unflappable, and they just keep creating them out one after the other after the other. I don't even know if I want to talk about Nunez and Jordan, but you know what are they doing? Nunez and Jordan are pretty much like the always Trumpers that are really like kind of like making a mockery of the impeachment process. And I mean, just stepping back objectively, like just look at what they're doing. Like it, 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 they're, they're gaslighting half of the population. Uh, their big argument is um, he he wanted no quid pro quo. But he did this during the time where the whistleblower, whistleblower complaint was at the White House. He knew that things were about to go down, and that's the reason why he kept saying no quid pro quo. Yeah, they were not ready for that song on testimony, I tell you what. Whew, mercy sakes. All right, enough about politics, my lands. Um, so last week, we talked about sports. I know not all my listeners like sports, and I'm not going to talk a lot about it right now. But that night... Freaking sports blew up because Miles Garrett took the helmet off of Mason Rudolph, the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback, and hit him with it. <laughs> and it led to the third biggest fine in NFL history, which leads me to my three count mini of the week. A little list in the middle of the show. So, anyways, um, weapons and sports, right? Uh, he, he took the guy's helmet off and hit him with it. And I know I'm a week behind, but remember, we were talking about sports last week. Uh, he suspended indefinitely, and I just think it's because they want to see how far the Browns will go in the playoffs this year, and they probably want to make him sweat a little bit. They're probably going to wait for the appeal to, uh, to go through. And they don't want him to just be, like, scot-free next year whenever, this, whenever the year starts. You know, they want him to kind of, like, feel the pressure of, of next year, too. So I'm sure he'll get, like, four games <coughs> at the beginning of next year. I'm so sorry. Still uh, getting over the cough. Which, by the way, is non-unique. Everybody in Chicago has a cough. All right. And they won the game. Like they they had a, they had a couple of players suspended, one indefinitely, their best defensive player, and then they they ended up winning the game. But it's like, wow, at what cost? So it, it led me to uh, the biggest fines in NFL history. 
Um, Garrett did get the biggest, uh, the third biggest one. It's 1.1 million, and it's suspended indefinitely. And these are on on the field because you know you have like Ray Rice who's like suspended forever because he you know punched his wife and things like that or punched his girlfriend. But these are actually on the field incidents uh, in between the hash marks. Uh, number two is Vontez Burfict with 1.16 million. That was a fine he got for being a hateful individual on the field. He leaned into a helmet-to-helmet hit on Jack Doyle last year, and he was suspended indefinitely this year. That means the second and third biggest fines ever in NFL have, have happened this year with Burfick and Garrett. And last but not least, Vontez Burfick again with $1.4 million. Uh, went after a defenseless Anthony Sherman. It was a preseason game. This Vontez Burfick guy, I tell you. He was suspended five games, and that was when he was with the Bengals. So the Bengals gave $1.4 million to the, to, uh, to, to, the, to the NFL, or I guess he did, and then the Raiders as well. So that's, that's enough for current events. Wow, we went, we went long on current events. Now it's time for Weird Science. Great Lakes edition. I know it's going to bore some people out there, but there's been some articles about the Great Lakes that need to be talked about. And by the way, being here at Morton College, you know, we're just about 10 miles away from Lake Michigan. So this kept being, this, this uh, sort of stuff kind of concerns us. And the first thing I wanted to talk about uh, was the lake effect. You hear this all the time in Chicago whenever it's cold. Uh, lake effect. Uh, whenever it's sunny outside. Uh, lake effect. Whenever it's snowing. Lake effect. This is everything. It's, it's people's, you know, generalized answer for any weather phenomenon. Kind of like in San Diego whenever they say it's a Santa Ana wind. It just means the wind's blowing. But anyways, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, the lake effect is produced during cooler atmospheric conditions when a cold air mass moves across long expanses of warmer lake water. The lower layer of air heated up by the lake water picks up water vapor from the lake and rises up through the colder air above. The vapor then freezes and is deposited on the leeward, I guess that's a word for downwind, shores. This uplifting can produce narrow but very intense bands of precipitation, which deposit at a rate of many inches of snow each hour, often resulting in a large amount of total snowfall. Uh, this does affect areas like Chicago, Toledo, Milwaukee. Uh, uh, there's some areas of Russia, Great Salt Lake, the Black Sea, the Caspian Sea. However, they too can see lake effect snow during easterly or northeasterly winds. More frequently, the north side of a low-pressure system picks up more moisture over the lake as it travels west, creating a phenomenon called lake-enhanced precipitation. That's what you're dealing with today, Chicago. Turn on your wipers. You don't want it to rain a lot. You don't want it to snow a lot. Then move away from Lake Michigan because it's coming after you. You get your water from there, don't you? I know Villa Park does. Mmm, delicious Lake Michigan water. That's not a cause of climate change. That's just NOAA science. But what about some actual climate change issues with, uh, let's say, Lake Erie? Now, I do have another story after this one, but I think these kind of dovetail into each other. So anyways, there's an algae bloom on Lake Erie. Every year, an explosion of microscopic life reigns over western Lake Erie, forming a green slick of algae and bacteria so massive and vibrant that it can be seen from space. Did you hear that? You see a little green stuff on a, on a pond, and you're like, oh, that's cute and adorable. Imagine if there was one so big you could see it from space. That's big, folks, and it's in Lake Erie. The harmful algae blooms, slimes, fishing boats, paints beaches and toxins, and engulfs water intake cribs. That's pleasant. In 2014, it left 400,000 people without drinking water for three days after toxins infiltrated Toledo's water system. I mean, if it's not Flint, it's Toledo. Can you imagine? 
A state of emergency was called because they couldn't drink water. Uh, that would, I guess that would be uh, John Kasich since he's from Ohio. Now, the bloom was among the most severe and toxic since scientists began keeping track in the early 2000s. At its peak, it's coated around 620 mi- square miles of Lake Erie's surface water, an area more than twice the size of Chicago. According to satellite imagery, the sheer weight of blue-green bacteria makes up the bloom 46,000 metric tons, expected to be a new record. Wow. And I know Sarah Joyner is joining us from, like, the Fayetteville area. Isn't that kind of like what happens in Lake Fayetteville? Whenever I used to live in, um, whenever I used to live in Fayetteville, and, and I used to work at Olive Garden, and when you work at a restaurant, everything revolves around, like, the water system, you know, because you cook your food in the water, and you serve your guest water and iced tea and coffee and, you know, soft drinks and things like that. So if you have crappy water, like, you're just, it's going to be a rough week for your for your restaurant. But anyways... There would be these times where it was like, oh, can't serve water today. And I'd be like, why? And they go, oh, the uh, the lake kind of went upside down or something like that. Where I guess all the composites of the bottom kind of rise to the top. It kind of like goes like a little reversal where the top becomes the bottom and the bottom becomes the top. That might be our next story. But, um, yeah, that algae bloom is not good because they take that algae bloom takes up all the sun. And so the poor little animals and fishies and plants underneath the water don't get any of the sun's natural rays and it's just bad and how big was that 46,000 tons can you imagine 46,000 tons of algae thanks a lot mankind because of climate change but anyway if I get the impression that this story is similar to the next one I'll just I'll, I'll cancel it so anyways this guy named Kano Rochenfels 41 who tutors school children in music from her Cleveland Heights home occasionally sees the city of Cleveland's division of water notification advising residents to avoid washing laundry because the sullied tap water may stay enclosed but the water is still safe to drink I guess this is what I was talking about with the water rising to the top in a lake it has been a nuisance to many customers of Cleveland's water department, the nation's 10th largest water system that serves 1.4 million people. But it may be representative of a more serious issue tied to Lake Erie's dead zone. So it is two different stories, but for the same lake. Poor Lake Erie has an algae bloom and now has dead zones. A sprawling layer of deep water with so little oxygen that many fish can't survive. I bet that's because of the algae bloom. As agricultural runoff and urban water, wastewater pour into Lake Erie, the nutrients and warmth of the shallowest Great Lake give rise to massive blooms of algae and bacteria. There we go. Now we're repeating ourselves. Let's go down to something we haven't talked about. Low oxygen conditions also contribute to more caustic water than can slowly corrode lead and copper service lines over time and raise the potential for exposures to those metals. Once oxygen levels drop below a certain threshold, cold water fish and benthic, I know what that means, that means things that dwell at the bottom of the ocean or at the bottom of water. Aquatic organisms suffocate or are forced to migrate, turning much of the central basin's bottom waters into a dead zone. And you can blame climate change for that. We have got to do something about poor Lake Michigan. Not Lake Michigan, Lake Erie. Lake Michigan just has that lake effect. So anyways, and those were like headline news for Chicago Tribune. It was like Sonwin links everybody to a to the quid pro quo, and oh, by the way, Lake Erie is dying of an algae bloom. Enjoy your enjoy your night, Chicago. Hey, speaking of Chicago, uh, you're joining Oops All Topics with Jason Edgar. DM me on Twitter at the Jedger if you want to send me any information, errors, omissions, or just things you want to talk about. And for those listening in Chicago, be sure to catch the Oops All replay Tuesdays at four on ninety nine point one. And obviously, download the show on Apple Podcasts or Podbean. 
We did see a little bit of a jump last week since we uh, named the show I Am The Whistleblower. I'm assuming that everyone was like, oh my god, here it is. Here's the guy. I mean, it was me. I, 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 I saw him talk on television about asking for a quid pro quo with Ukraine and China, so... Whistleblown. The Democrats are just crushing it with these impeachment scandals, by the way. And now that Pence and Pompeo and all these guys are implicated, does it mean that Trump and Pence are going to be shipped off to another location and Nancy Pelosi becomes president? No. Because episode one, I predicted he will be impeached, but he will be saved by the Senate. Which makes you wonder, like, well, what's even the point, aside from just a scarlet letter of impeachment? A little double dose of impeachment now, don't you? Alright. So, anyways, pop culture time. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of um, education here because I'm going to talk about Avengers again. <laughs> I talked about him two weeks ago, but it was because we watched Infinity War. And Bryant said, I got Sunday morning off. Do you want to you wanna come watch Endgame? You know why he wanted to watch Endgame so bad? Because, it has such, because the other movie predecessor had such a great ending. He wants to know what happened to Black Panther and Spider-Man. So I was like, okay, I, I will watch it, but i got to take notes for my podcast, and here we go. So anyways, I've always wondered if that movie is playing into Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. And if you don't know what Kubler-Ross's stages of grief are, they are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Um. Again, when we have Nathan Gandy on the show, he's like my uh, local psychologist. He'll tell us whether the Kubler-Ross method is good or not. Um, I, I do know that there's some skepticism. It's not like a law of grief. But what's, what he or she is saying, I'm not for sure if it's a man or a woman, a scientist or a psychologist. But anyway, what they're saying is like whenever you lose something, like imagine if you lose a pet. What this theory dictates is that you will go through in order these five stages of denial, the ones that I read. Well, as you know, with previous episodes that I've talked about in the early stages, I'm a big fan of symbolism. And Avengers Endgame is huge in symbolism when it comes to grief. Why? Well, because the Avengers lost the Infinity War. I mean, they just straight lost it, and they lost half their friends. Like, the, the, the world is in shambles. There's no longer any Mets. Like, apparently half the baseball teams went away, too. And so when that happens... Apparently the Russo brothers wanted to write a script that kind of kind of shown or symbolized uh, these uh, these elements of grief in the show. And so again, I was saying like I think I can see those in the movie. And then I got online and I said, okay, Kubler Ross stages of grief. And wouldn't you know it, somebody wrote an article. So I kind of took what I thought and and, and went through uh, and went through the lens of that article. Um, I'll put it in arrows and omissions next week because uh, so, I want to give the author credit, but I went ahead and wrote some notes right now. And then I'm also going to talk about some other characters and my favorite lines from those characters. And, uh, and I've said before, my favorite character in all these Avengers movies is Rocket from Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm super loving this movie because he says something that echoes my sentiment of two weeks ago. Remember when I said there's so many people to blame for the rise of Thanos? Well, what does Rocket say in Avengers Endgame? There's a lot of failing going around. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. And don't forget about Trump and capitalism. They, too, are to blame. So anyways, the first stage in the Kubler-Ross stages of grief is denial. And they, uh, the author and myself connect this to Thor. 
Uh, one of the things about denial is that you're trying to just you're kind of just hiding in well. Where do you see Thor uh, in the beginning of Avengers Endgame? You see him hiding in New Asgard. Not necessarily hiding, but he's not doing much. He's not he's not zipping around the universe, you know, saving and protecting. He's you know drinking beer with his friends and playing you know like Sega Genesis or whatever. Um, there's also a lot of fear in denial. Right? Like, imagine if you lose someone, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of rage. All those things are kind of like combined emotions. But um, I think he's fearful of Thanos, you know? Like, they, they got their butts kicked, like I said. And, and Thor was, like, really just, dist- uh, he was, like, he got his butt kicked at the beginning of, uh, of Infinity War, if you remember, right? With the Power Stone. Excuse me. So I just think there's a lot of hiding, or a lot of fear there. I think it's also interesting that whenever they're kind of uh, they're thinking about their plan at the very very beginning of Endgame, uh, he's eating biscuits, and I asked somebody like, "Are biscuits like a they're a carbohydrate?" And so that would lead you to be a little bit fatter, right? If all you did was eat biscuits, and I think it was Brian. He's like, "Yeah, absolutely." So I think it's funny that we're seeing him eating biscuits because later on he's going to turn into fat Thor. One thing about denial is that you refuse the truth uh, so much, in fact, that you cling to a false reality. And so, apparently, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to move on because he already has moved on. Actually, like he's created the reality that Thanos is dead. Uh, him, him slicing his head off was way past the point of even anyone caring. But he is clinging to the idea that, well, I, I did my duty. I cut Thanos' head off. I'm sorry that half the universe is gone. But what are you going to do? He's also, uh, and you see this a lot in um, in, lit- in literary literary arts, I guess, is the uh, reluctant hero. Any sort of superhero movie or any sort of movie where there's going to be like some sort of person that has to rise and support people and give a voice to the voiceless, these people are oh, these these heroes are always reluctant at the beginning, and you see this a lot with well, pretty much all the characters in Endgame. You see it with uh, Thor. You see it with Tony Stark. Uh, this idea of just like they're reluctant to move forward, but they eventually come around. Uh, I watched Aquaman over the summer. I wasn't a big fan of Aquaman, but he was a reluctant hero at the beginning. It's just like, no, oh, I don't want to do it. No, I don't want to do it. But eventually they do. It gives the movie like an extra 30 minutes trying to convince the hero to do something worthy. My favorite thing about Thor is that he loves his mom, especially in Avengers Endgame. I, mean, I, see, I connect so much with that. Um, if I'm ever kind of like stressed out or kind of like worried or fearful, I have a meditation technique where I just, I, I think about my mother holding me and saying, everything's going to be all right. Well, you know what? Thor's mother kind of gets him through that too. And guess what? Thor succeeds after he has his talk with his mother. He just wants to say, mom, I'm scared. Mom, you know, things aren't going great. And she gives him the courage to move on. As you know, I come from a single parent family. My mom is my, the, the big deal for me. And uh, I love that part of the Avengers Endgame. All right, let's move on. Kubler Ross's stages of grief. We got denial. We got anger. Uh, this is easy. It's Hawkeye, right? Like at the point where he's like, you know, cutting bad guys' head off at a at a, at a huge rate. Um, which you know what? They never really. They he never served as served any justice for that. By the way, like it doesn't matter if they're part of the triad in Japan. If you're cutting people's heads off. Like, you're a vigilante. You are a domestic terrorist. You, <laughs> we're talking about Hawkeye here. You know, and, and, and uh, Black Widow comes around and is like, hey, stop doing that. And, and then they go on with their mission. But, man, 
it, it almost takes me out of the movie. Uh, Hawkeye is also experiencing survivor's guilt. Uh, this is whenever, like, let's say you survive a plane crash and no one else does. You'll actually have some guilt because you survived. You ask yourself, why me? But what Hawkeye asks is, why then? He loses his entire family. It's crazy. I guess Ant-Man did too, but... Uh, and he thinks to himself, well, what about these gangsters? And the thing is, like, whenever Thanos does the decimation snap, like, it, it's, it's, it's fair. It's, it's this person and the third person and the fifth person. And it doesn't matter if it's a charming little child or a, or a gangster. Uh, and that's what the equality and population control is all about. Uh, yeah, he becomes kind of like the Ronin, even though they don't really mention it. Maybe that's going to be in the series. And then he's just irritated. Didn't he kind of, like, bite some people's heads off in the middle, in the middle of the movie? When they're trying to avenge the death of a, of a character, he starts yelling at people. That's, that's irritation right there. Kubler-Ross, stage number three of grief, bargaining. And the article uh, ties this back to Captain America. Uh, Captain America has hope, don't we all? Uh, he is grateful for life. Uh, he's even the one that mentions like the whales are bouncing back. Uh, his therapy session is reaching out to others. All these are part of bargaining. So it's, it's obviously heavy-handed whenever you hear about all these things that Captain America is illustrating. And by the way, did you know that the first gay character in a Marvel movie is in that therapy session? If you go back and listen to the, uh, to the therapy session when the man is talking, he's talking about a date that he want, went on with another man. Right? So he's part of the LGBTQ community. And sadly, it's the first on-screen gay character of Avengers. Or, or Marvel ever. So, uh, Agent Carter. So th this leads me to believe that did he really move on? Like Captain America is telling everybody to move on, but he doesn't. Like he still got the hots for Agent Carter, even though she's like seventy years old. And one of my favorite lines from the movie comes from Captain America. He's talking to uh, Natasha. The Black Widow, and he goes, I'd cook for you, but you already look miserable. Like, how has anyone ever thought about that before? That is such a funny line. That movie plays such fan service to Captain America, by the way. That Captain America versus Captain America scene is so awesome. I don't know if they've ever done that in the comic books, but it's just visually captivating. When he thinks he's Loki, like the old Captain America, the 2012 Captain America. And then, and I know I've seen this in a comic, whenever he says Hell Hydra, and you're like, oh my god, what? Captain America's part of Hydra? But they show in Endgame why that's the case. Depression, Black Widow. I didn't see this coming. But yeah, she's sad. Like, she slaps in her chair, you know, being the point man for the rest of the Avengers. And speaking of which, that's what you do during a depressive state. You throw yourself into your work. What is she covering? Thing? She's covering the entire galaxy, making sure that it's avenged. You know, she's talking to Okoye from uh, Wakanda. Uh, Rocket is somewhere on the other side of the universe. Captain America is on the other side of the universe. Literally, Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow, is taking care and protecting the entire universe. And that sounds like you're throwing yourself into your work, depressed Black Widow. Um says that it's overwhelming, depression. Uh, I'm not sure if she's overwhelmed, but uh, she might seem like she's overwhelmed by her work. And she just feels sad the whole movie. 
You know, like like the the Black Widow character hasn't had a fun couple of movies. Like um, she's part of like the outcast that didn't want to uh, uh, regulate themselves, and so she's been out on the lam for a while. Uh, she had to fight Thanos in the last movie, and now like she's just she's just depressed because all her friends are gone. Now I know she doesn't like outwardly commit suicide at the end of the movie, but she does like if you're saying it out loud, she does jump off of a cliff. Like no one no one persuades her she wasn't coerced to do so. You know, and I and I hate to take it to a dark place here, but I mean that's kind of like the, that in the you know late stage depression is uh, is committing suicide. Uh, but ultimately she was avenged. You know all these movies there is a particular death that the Avengers have to avenge. I mean it's in the name, right? At the very end, it's one of the final six characters. You know whenever you see that huddle up in 2012 and you know Marvel's the Avengers. There's six Avengers there protecting Earth. By the end of Endgame. One of those is dead, so that's the Avenger, right? Avenge her, get it? How are we doing on time here? Ten minutes. I still got a lot to say. Uh, acceptance. This is the last one. So again, we're talking about Kubler Ross's stages of grief in Avengers Endgame. I got denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Who have I not talked about? That has accepted what is what happened in Avengers Endgame. Well, it would be Professor Hulk now, wouldn't it? He found his agency. Remember we talked about that two weeks ago? Poor Hulk was having agency issues in his uh, in, in Avengers Infinity War. Well, now him and Bruce Banner felt are, uh, can coexist. You know, uh, he feels like Bruce Banner isn't using him anymore, and Bruce Banner understands that, and now he's out. And honestly, it's one of the best Hulk movies ever, Avengers Endgame. He's one of the three people that have snapped their fingers with all the Infinity Stones. I think that's huge. And, uh, yeah, the old, the 2012 Hulk is super funny in that movie, and so is uh, so is Professor Hulk. Um, part of acceptance is ret- retrospective. You, th- you see this the entire time with the Hulk. He's just, he's very happy. He's very retrospective. He's thought about it. He comes up with the idea of, like, time travel not being such a big deal. And here's the thing. He's in full control. He's in full control of Bruce Banner. He's in full control of Max, the Hulk, whatever. Uh, And that's what happens in acceptance. You're in complete control. Exploring options. You know, he has a bunch of ideas about how to... uh, He's like the point man on the entire, you know, uh, charade they're going to go on in the middle of the movie. And uh, he just moved on, you know. Then we haven't really talked about Iron Man, but the the, ar- the author of the article kind of shows how Tony is all of these things. He has moved on, and his life is better now. You know that's what happens. I was just thinking about that the other day um, because I don't know if my uh, audience knows this or not, but I've actually been married before. Uh, my my marriage right now is my second one, and my first marriage, you know, it, it ended in 2011, and it was devastating at the time. And uh, and I can I can tell you about these stages of grief whether you want to accept it or not but you know there's a, there's another side of that there's another you know every there's a silver lining I guess I'm trying to figure out some sort of warm and fuzzy anecdote to give you or something or advice but the thing is is like it's going to be better soon it's a it's a nice Buddhist philosophy whatever you're going through right now it will end and you're going to be better afterwards for it you're going to be full of wisdom that's what I wanted to talk about. 
And so Tony has to decide whether he wants to risk his life that he's created with Morgan and Pepper, or does he want to go back and help save Spider-Man? And because of it, well, he paid the price. Uh, Thanos. At the end of it, this is crazy. He needs no existence. And now I'm just going to talk about some characters that I like. Thanos says at the end, I'm just going to wipe out everybody. And that's actually pretty wise, because if, if he leaves just one individual alive, that one person is going to attempt to get the Infinity Stones back. So he has to just end existence. And they've done this in a comic book before, where it's like, it's just him walking in a vast uh, sea of darkness. And he attempts to do this, but then, you know, Iron Man takes the stones from him. I must say, my, my, my listeners must just love me with all this Infinity Wars and Avengers talk. But you know what? After today, it's going to be done for a while. I've even actually got the next few episodes to, uh, co- uh, figured out. Uh, we, have, we need some titles for some coming up, but those usually make themselves uh, relevant the day of. Uh, here's another thing about Thanos. There's actually two Thanoses in these two movies. You have the Philosopher Thanos, which comes around in 2018, am I right? And really has a lot of very thoughtful, poetic thoughts about what he's doing in his, uh, his venture in Avengers Infinity War. And that's in 2019, and he ultimately, you know, solves, he ultimately does his duty. But if you think about it, in Avengers Endgame, whenever uh, they go back, or I guess, yeah, they all go back in time, especially, I guess it's uh, Nebula, who's so important to the plot. Um, they're in 2012, whenever Warrior Thanos finds out about, uh, what would it be, 2018 Thanos? So you got two Thanoses running around, and authors dictate one of them is the Philosopher, and one of them is the Warrior. And uh, that's the reason why... you. D- he, he doesn't even have to fight very hard in Infinity Wars because he just has all of the Infinity Stones doing the work for him. But in Endgame, like he is, he is wheeling and dealing. He is a fighter in that movie. And here's the thing. He knows that he's going to succeed because they're, ha- they're time traveling to stop him. So he gets the impression that he's going to win, and he is, in fact, inevitable. And that's the reason why he thinks he's going to get the uh, uh, Infinity Stones at the very end. Warrior versus Philosopher. Nebula has one of the best lines in the movie, too. Um, she says to Gamora that she's going to start dating Peter Quill, and she, Gamora says why, and Nebula says well, you, it's either him or a tree. <laughs> Captain Marvel. Hey, we see Captain Marvel now. This leads me to a phrase I like to use. It's called the Dos Ex Machina. Uh, I don't know if I pronounced it correctly. Chances are no. But um, a dos ex machina is just like when all else fails, God will come in and save you. And that's exactly what Captain Marvel is. There's no way that Iron Man, who is currently on Titan, can make his way back to Earth. He is going to die on Titan or die on that ship. Oh, oh, lo and behold, here comes Captain Marvel, somebody who can just fly him to Earth. Talk about God intervening. Um, I thought the movie was fine. It's one of those, uh, Captain Marvel, I thought it was one of those movies where it was like, I'll watch it once, I'm not sure I'll see it a second time. Um, and I'll see the second one and third one if they make it. I mean, that movie made a billion dollars too. I will tell you one thing. I think it was a little pandering. My, my friend Nathan doesn't agree with me. 
Um, but I'm not a big fan of near the end of Endgame where all the girls get together and then fight and help Captain Marvel get the Infinity Stones across the field. Uh, for one, I think it's a little heavy-handed. Like, I know it's like girl power, 2019 and things like that. But look, you've got strong male and female characters. I don't think anyone's arguing that Scarlet Witch isn't like, powerful. Captain Marvel is the most powerful being in the universe. That's Carol Danvers. You don't need all of them to get together and say, hey, look, we're a big female group. And also, just logistically, you're telling me that all of the female characters were on one side of the field? And I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to be like toxic masculine or anything like that. I'm just, I'm being objective. I think there's a good mixture of boys and girls in the field of battle at Avengers Endgame. But she needs help. So let's get all the females and, and fight right there. Which is super cool. But you don't have to convince me, an Avengers fan, that the all-girl teams are powerful. I already know Black Widow, Black Witch, Black Widow, uh, what are you trying to say? Scarlet Witch is really powerful. With about two minutes left, um, I love to see Black Panther in action, uh, and I think okay. So whenever Black Widow is talking to Okoye about what's going on in Wakanda, do you notice that they said that there was an underwater earthquake? Mark my words, that is the plot to Black Panther Two. That underwater earthquake. I think her name's Okoye. I'm, can I call her Michonne from Walking Dead? Last but not least, Ant Man. Um, Remember when there was a story about how they were going to uh, defeat Thanos? They were going to have Ant-Man crawl up his butt and expand? <laughs> the internet is so creative. But wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be the way? That'd be the best way for Thanos to die? How would he even see it coming? So thank you all for joining us this week. It went fast. And... Uh, let me just tell you before we end here that Oops All Topics is broadcast live on 99.1 FM, WZQC the Q. Email the show at oopsalltopics at gmail.com. Follow or direct message me on Twitter at the Jedger. Follow, share, and download the podcast at oopsalltopics.podbean.com. And lastly, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. And I'm going to start doing something new and I can afford it. <laughs> I'm going to play us some music out. So if you're listening to the podcast, you're going to have about four minutes of uh, four minutes of music at the end. And also, if you're on 99.1, you're going to have a nice little song to drive home to. Thank you for joining us. It's a great episode. I thought that Great Lakes talk was fantastic. Yeah. Like I said, download us on... Uh, Podbean or Apple Podcast, and uh, join us next week on Thursday at 4. And be sure to lose your fear, find your voice. Take care.
secret show right now for 15 seconds. <laughs> they used to have those back in the 90s. You, know, you wait for a show, like you like wait three minutes after the uh, song was over, and then there'd be a little show afterwards. Well, here's ours. Bye! This is Grace, and you're listening to Morning